What are you laughing about? Always something. Yeah, always something about me. <laughs> no, no, maybe it's actually about our guest today. You mean about the air traffic controller? <laughs> I was afraid when he said the window was open that like a bird was going to fly in. I thought that's what he was afraid of. Have you seen this like viral thing that's going around with the squirrel in the room? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my God. So there was this video Instagram, that I saw where like Twitter? some guy. Huh? There was this video that I saw with some guy who was like sitting in his home office with a bat and he's just holding it. And because he's got clients coming in or whatever to this room, he's got like a camera there always watching. And I don't know, there's some other story about why the camera's there. And in the middle of this business call, you can see he's on Zoom chit-chatting with people. Like a squirrel just starts running around his room and he loses his mind. And I was just had this vision of James, our guest, we can say where he's from and stuff like that in a second, having a bird fly in. And if you've never had a bird fly into your house, you don't know that feeling. Because I had that happen when I was a kid, when I was like four, four or five years old. And I remember my mom's reaction was, let's say, just a little bit extreme. <laughs> anyway, who do we have with us today? We have James Sanders, who is from the Paluas Mobility Group. Welcome, James. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I am wonderful today. I am wonderful. Can you confirm two things? One, no birds, no squirrels in the room. We're okay. Um, I can confirm that I've closed the window, so there hopefully will be no birds, and I still need to clean up the uh, the office a bit. Let's pray that there are no animals floating around the ground or running around at my feet. Let's hope. <laughs> James, can you give us a little bit of your background for some context? Like, where are you from, and where are you now as well? Yeah, of course. So I'm originally from California uh, in San Diego. So I was born and raised there, graduated there, and then had the opportunity to travel the world a bit. So I found myself in Switzerland for, for three years, was down in Australia for three years in a previous life. So my <laughs> life before being an adult and, and sitting in a desk and doing adult-like things, I was able to uh, play sport around the world for six years, which was wonderful. What sport were you playing? I was playing baseball. So I played baseball at college and had the opportunity to play uh, in Switzerland for the club level and coach the national teams and ended up coaching down in Australia and playing there as well. It was amazing. One of the most amazing experiences to be kind of thrown into uh, a group, family, cultures, uh, and just have a, a network of friends from day one that took care of you, looked after you. And, and I'm enjoying the coaching and teaching is Funny enough, it's I still kind of do it today, and I still do it in my role and what I do. Which what is were you doing before you at Baloas? And I've always had a hard time pronouncing the name of this company. So if I get it wrong, feel free to correct me. Yeah, what were you doing before this? Yeah, no, Baloas is it. It operates in four different countries. It's four different ways of saying it. So it it, it, it is Baloas as far as I know. But then, uh, but before that, I worked at a incubator accelerator here in Switzerland in Zurich, a fintech incubator accelerator where we were working with uh, startups that were coming into Switzerland, wanting to work with Swiss banks and insurance companies. So I did that for four or five years. And prior to that, I had my own fintech startup. Um, so I ran that for six, seven years. Uh, it was an idea that came out of a previous job as a consultant. We then went out and found my other co-founders. It was a fintech startup that was operating within Europe that was scaled up and sold. So that little bit of experience in the, in the entrepreneurial space, if you will. I'm always really interested about guys and gals that have played organized sports at a high level. 
because I think, and particularly team sports, right? So a tennis player's experience traveling the globe and playing sport at any level is very different than a baseball player because a baseball team has like nine people on the field at any one point in time, but a bunch of people sitting in a dugout as well. And it's a really like, it's different than being one-on-one. And I'm always curious, right? Because we had this on the trading desk as well when I was in Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. Like these guys and gals that came from organized sports were like a different breed of people, particularly when it came to the way they looked at and perceived like being on a team. Can you talk about that at all? And maybe if you take some of that experience of being on a baseball team and even coaching into what you're doing now and, and even what you did at F10. It's a great thing. I mean, I'll give you a little anecdote. I um, Before I had my, my startup, I was working with a consultant who, you know, worked heavily on, on Wall Street you know, worked with a lot of banks, hedge funds, and he had a motto. He says, I would only hire athletes. Now, again, extreme view, but it mm-hmm. becomes with that, you know, that challenge working with others, um, seeing the bigger picture. There's there's a lot of elements to it. And I think that kind of jumps into the diversity of the team that, you know, when you play the sports, you have so many different people that you have to deal with collectively for one mission. But when it comes to baseball, I mean, I don't, it's not the most popular sport around the world, but it is extremely mm-hmm. boring, <laughs> but um, it, it's a very cerebral sport as well. There's a lot of, you know, in between the game, you know, there's little one-on-one battles, little competitions, but again, collectively, you're all trying to go in the same direction. Um, and again, the backgrounds of the people you have on the teams, I mean, in the university, I would say we are a lot more similar. We're all college students working, you know, basically similar backgrounds. But when you start traveling the world and, you know, I've had a team once where I had, you know, a 17, 18 year old, I guess, early high school college student and also had a high ranking senior executive banker on the same team, mm-hmm. um, different cultural backgrounds. So it's really interesting uh, to have that, that dynamic in play, which is fun. There are so many ways in baseball to get an out. You can strike out, you can foul out, you can pop out, you can get tagged out, right? All these things. And yet you still have to come up to bat again. And I know it sounds trite, but like, I think it's a great metaphor for what it's like to build stuff from scratch. Cause you make more, you make way more outs. Like even if you're a great hitter, you're hitting 325. That means you're failing like 6.677.5% of the time. It's like a big failure. And yet you're still considered an all-star. And I think that this is the way I think about building. You can strike out, but you can also hit a home run or get a double or a triple. Do, do, you, do you understand what I mean? I 100%. And that's, I mean, if you look at a team sport hole, you know, at a hole, yeah, we were talking about, but if you look purely just about baseball, that's the one thing that's very fascinating is that if you fail 70% of the time, you're a success. So how do you deal with failure in baseball is such a big thing. And when you take that into the business world, and especially as an entrepreneur, it's a big thing. I mean, you are going to have failures. Do you just fold up and go home? Do you collapse? Do you have failure after failure after failure? Or you just say, hey, you take it, you learn from it, move on to the next thing. And that is what makes it a very interesting sport when you look at it from a a mental point of view. It's a very mental sport. And there's been hundreds of books written on the mental side of baseball, funny enough, just on that. How different is it to uh, coach in the US, in Australia and Switzerland? Oh, you're going to get me in trouble. So hopefully uh, I don't say anything bad. No, differences. When I coached in Australia, Mm -hmm. I I was living in Melbourne. Um, I coached at a club level, but also at a state level as well. It's a very sport background. They're very sport focused. There's a lot of competition, a little bit more adversity in background. And you coach in Mm -hmm. Switzerland. And again, this is, I share this view with a few coaches. So I've talked to some coaches that maybe that taught golf or ice hockey. Um, In Switzerland, it's a 
it's a very rich country with a, and all the kids growing up don't face a lot of adversity. Um, so when you take that into the sports world, uh, when they are faced with challenges or issues, how they deal with it is it takes them a little bit longer to adjust. And sometimes mm-hmm. when the pressure comes, not everybody in Switzerland wants to raise their hand and, be, and take charge. Now that's at a very lower club level. Um, at the mm-hmm. senior level, the seniors, you know, they they've got to that excess, that high level because they were the ones that rise to the top and want the challenge. But when you look at the grassroots, that's the one big difference you see at the grassroots younger level is the ability to uh, to challenge and have that adversity, which you don't again. And it's a beautiful thing about Switzerland. You know, they, they mm-hmm. grew up with a lot of great things. The streets are clean. It's safe. It's wonderful. But again, mm-hmm. not a lot of adversity. <laughs> I wouldn't change to be very, very clear. Yeah, would yeah, not yeah. change, but there's also a byproduct of it sometimes. And does that translate into the difference in the startup environment in both places? Good question. I would say, to be honest, no, because um, in the startup environment, especially in Switzerland, we the diversity in, from the cultures and backgrounds, especially in Switzerland, is quite broad. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of different um, people from all over the world come through the universities and some of the best universities are also in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, so you also get the best of the best. And a lot of the entrepreneurs, again, I think a lot of the entrepreneurs in Switzerland are also a lot more mature, a little bit older. So they have a little bit more experience, a little bit seasoned um, to the business world as well. Can we talk a little bit about culture shock? When you leave California, I can't imagine you were that old. And when you get to another country, even if that country looks similar to yours, the culture is different. And then when you go to a different country, so Switzerland, Australia, back to Switzerland, like the culture is always changing. How important is it for you today, looking back on that knowledge or that learning, to realize that like every culture is different, every culture has good and bad, and to be able to incorporate all those good things into what you're trying to accomplish, right? While understanding that the culture that you took for granted originally, which is yours, wasn't always right, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, what is that learning process like for you? And then how do you try to imbue that in the stuff that you do going forward? Yeah, it's 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 something that I've thought about, you know, recently. It's uh it's it's actually really funny you bring it up. I was raised in a military family back in San Diego. So both my mom and my dad for 20 years were in the military. But you know, again, they lived all over the world and were, you know, high-ranking naval officers, so they have a different cultural, you know, view on things and how it works. So maybe yes, very politically a little bit right-wing, but also from a cultural, very left-wing. So I was extremely fortunate in the household that I was raised, that I understand the importance of cultures, understanding the other side, working with others, which was great. So, I mean, I have people that say, hey, James, you know, like question you ask, how different is it growing up? I came to Switzerland and it felt natural, which was very strange, <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was just different enough to make it feel unique and exciting, but I still felt like I I belonged. Um, and it didn't feel at off other than, you know, of course, the language barrier to start with. It wasn't much different, but it was, I was very fortunate. I was raised with, by a family that, you know, I had aunts and uncles, you know, quote unquote, aunts and uncles that, you know, had Japanese, they were Mexican, you know, so it, it, it was all, it was all different, which was great. And I didn't, I didn't appreciate it until much, much later in life. So did you live all over the world with your parents as they were stationed in different bases and stuff? No, my older brother was. I like to say my claim to fame is that I was made in Japan, but I was born in California. (laughs) (laughs) 
so technically again we get into another philosophical debate about uh you know where i where i was born and raised but uh, no i was yeah i was born and raised in san diego do you know do you know where your parents were stationed in japan in okinawa in okinawa makes sense yeah so just a little bit out of, out of uh, south of uh, of tokyo but it's it's been great you know having that that kind of upbringing and background um, and then I, again, like I said, took it for granted massively, um, being able to see different cultures and beliefs. And again, when we talk about a little bit about diversity as well, I, uh, I find it quite interesting that I would go to, go to school early in the morning with my mom, who was one of the, at the time, very high ranking female naval officers. So I was around very powerful women very early on um, in my life, saw many cultures early on and saw the importance of having and working with everybody, which was, it was great. It was great. And again, again, took it for granted because as you get older and you see how the different societies and how different things mm-hmm. work, it's not always like that. So my, I tell this story, not that often, but often enough, like my grandfather was a very successful businessman, but he couldn't read and he couldn't write and he couldn't do math. Right. But his wife, on the other hand, was like a mathematical genius. So he literally worshipped her because without her, she, he couldn't have done all the stuff that he could have done. So I, like you, was brought up in a place where women were like revered, right? So, yeah. and I think it definitely has impacted the way I perceive my interactions with women, but also the place that women should have like in the world and in the work world and whatever. Like it never occurred to me that equality is probably the wrong word, but that like opportunities should be there for everybody because I've seen it. And I've seen the impact of it. And when I go out into the business world, and I'm curious for you too, particularly in your previous role, but in your current role as well, when you're dealing with this level of like the necessity for diversity, whether it's gender diversity or cultural diversity, that you think that the impact of watching your mom, who was a senior ranking naval official, it must have been one of few women that were like that, that it's impacted you still to today, that your perception of the way the world works is informed because of that exactly right i mean it's I, I i catch myself quite often when we talk about um you know female empowerment movement and all this stuff and i i, I found myself early on of rolling my eyes going oh it's stupid and women are because i never lived it. it's one of those i didn't experience it. Mm-hmm. you know it's like it's yeah i had the same feeling i'm like why are we talking about this my grandmother was already doing this in the 70s kind of thing but i get it yeah go ahead but but yeah i completely understand and it's it, there's such value into it um and what that also, you know, looking back is, is that everybody brings something to the table. Yeah. Everyone can bring something to the table. There's a positive, and there's like, there's a positivity element to it as well. You know, there is value always to be found. You know, you can always find value in everything. And it's also important that you look for the value just in life in general, but especially as an entrepreneur. Just on the topic of being raised, you know, not knowing anything else other than empowered women, do you come across men who don't think like that? Oh, completely. Yeah. No, as in, oh, when, I, when I say yes. not come across, sorry, come across is, is, yes, you do, but do you have them in your circle? And if you do, how oh, yeah. do you deal with that? Uh, completely have in my circle because you have, again, you... <laughs> you have different circles. You have your business circles, you have your inner circles, you have your sports circles. And I, I, I kind of have a number of very diverse circles that I mm-hmm. play in of people. Mm-hmm. It's not just my business life, my, you know, the sports world, it's sometimes where I'm at is a very alpha male dominated. And that's where mm-hmm. sometimes you find those people. And is it, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, you mm-hmm. do come across it and especially okay. 
and this is sad to, sad to say, but in the higher parts of the business world, especially in Switzerland and in the boards and those levels, you mm-hmm. have a lot of, let's just say you take a picture of one and it looks like they all look like the exact same at the board level, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which, hey, and you have a lot of historical male dominated roles. And mm-hmm. some people like to keep it that way because, hey, it's worked this far. Why change it? And it's mm-hmm. a it's a naive viewpoint. Um, but again, I'm not saying everybody sees it. But like you said, mm-hmm. and you asked me, I do come across it. Yeah. Do you think at one point we will become equal? Because I was reading about the gender parity report and it would said 132 years. And I said, hell no. So I always look for people who believe that, you know, we are kind of the same, not the same, but we have bring the same thing to the table. Do you think in your lifetime, you can see something better than what we have now? Well, I would say that every generation is better. So I believe in in our youth. I really believe in the education of our youth that it always gets better. Um, I think equality is a tricky word and it means a Mm -hmm. lot to different people. Um, So I'm very careful what I say. I think there's an equal opportunity. I sure hope so. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also think, hey, guess what? We're not equal. And I think that's a beautiful thing and we should embrace it. Um, you know, Randu, you and I are different. We have different backgrounds. <laughs> you know, we're not equal. We have different upbringings, but that's what makes us unique and amazing. But I sure as hell hope we have the same opportunities. So, yeah, I think we are trending in the right direction. Uh, I think the majority of the world wants us to get there faster. But again, like anything, and as entrepreneurs know, it takes time. You have your business model. You have your, you know, you think you're going to do this. It, it, it's just going to take time. You know, I, I try to stay a little bit on the positive side. I think we're trending in the right direction. There's hiccups along the way. There are things that shake up. And, you know, I think it's also needed. We look back and, hey, we needed that uprising, this issue, and uh, mm-hmm. to, to highlight it. Because, you know, like Michael and I said, we didn't, we never realized it until we were much older in life that there was an mm-hmm. issue, you know, so wake our minds up that we get complacent. And that's a good, <laughs> I, I, I say good thing, but hopefully you understand what I mean. It, it's mm-hmm. really, it, it's maybe, maybe needed. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't think any of us are equal at all, to be fair, male, female, tall, short. We're just not, we're all really different. You're, you're right. I think the idea is equality of opportunity and then let's see what happens after that we do have to make adjustments over time and there need to be some sort of systemic changes but i think that you're right i think every generation gets better and i think it's weird right because there's a time during transitional periods when things are getting better where it feels like they just couldn't get any worse do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and yet out of that badness if you want to call it that i think the what is it the arc of history is definitely edging towards better rather than than worse for sure. And, and, and to be fair, I think if you just look at this call, and I say this a lot, you have a, a woman from India who studied in the United States, who's living in Switzerland. You have a guy from California who was in Australia and is living in Switzerland. And a guy from born in California who lived in Japan and built businesses in Asia, now in Singapore, but lives in Bangkok. Like You couldn't get a more diverse group. <laughs> You couldn't tell from looking at us any of these things, right? And all of us had different paths to getting here. And I do think that that part of diversity maybe is a little bit underpromoted, but I think almost as important because as we travel around the world and meet different people and do different things, in a way it's incumbent upon us to just use our experience. And I won't say teach other people, 
but to be the informer around what's possible when you have culture shock and when you can accept different things and when you play on a team where like what the shortstop does is very different than what the catcher does, but it doesn't minimize either one of those positions going, anybody can sit behind the plate, but being a shortstop is really hard. Like, does that make sense as well? Yeah, definitely. It, it, it definitely makes sense. Well, I, I think in that way we are equal, you know. Sorry, I'm going to go back because we've traveled the world. We have accumulated experiences. And that makes us equal in our, in why we bind to each other or why we connect. Yeah, may- maybe. Sorry, James, you were going to say something. <laughs> yes. But I, is that why you're, you started your fintech, James? That, you know, the diversity that you grew up with of thought uh, and the discipline of sport, is that why you gravitated towards a startup? Oh, gosh, I would, I'm going to, I'm going to peel back the layers and give you the honest answer here. And I wish it was something as exciting as that. I wish it would fit the narrative of this conversation, but I have to be a hundred percent honest, hundred percent honest. I was, um, I was working for a consultancy company and we were doing some research. And one of the research pieces I was doing was, you know, on a certain field, I was interviewing a number, number of people over a few different countries. And we were, and this is for all the entrepreneurs out there that are listening to this inspiration comes anywhere. You just got to make sure you take a hold of it. But we were in a board meeting and a couple of ideas were floated around and, you know, raised my head saying, hey, maybe this is a, uh, a new business that we should do. And everyone kind of looked at me and said, well, do you want to be your own entrepreneur? And I said, what's an entrepreneur? <laughs> 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 kind of one of those kind of things. I'm like, I've never studied innovation. I've never done it before. I was just, a, you know, an operations mm-hmm. guy working, doing research projects. And, you know, I went to the, uh, the University of Google and Googled a few things on how to be an entre- entrepreneur. Uh, and then next thing you know, I was very fortunate enough that along the way, met some amazing people, found some great co-founders that helped build the company along with me. And that's where it was. And I, I would love to say it was a, I was seeking, seeking for diversity or everything. It mm-hmm. really was something that was put into my hands and it was a new challenge. And since I've had the experience of traveling the world and being outside my comfort zone and really pushing myself and, you know, getting off the couch and doing something different when this presented myself, it just was such a natural, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Let's do it. And then the Mm -hmm. next thing, you know, we, uh, we're we're building a business plan the next day. And a couple of weeks later, we were already setting up the company. So it was, yeah, it was interesting. It was a very different road than typical. I was inspired one day. It was just, yeah just happened i'm going to make the case actually that most entrepreneurs fit into the category you just described i yeah. don't believe uh, it's good to know i really <laughs> yeah. do i just don't believe any of the myth mythology around i had an epiphany i'm going to change the world and then i'm going to go raise money and now i'm a billionaire i just don't believe any of this james and you know this you know this from your work at f10 right when you talk to all these people and you look at potential investments you're like these, like in a way, a lot of people that I've talked to on, on my programs, they say, oh, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. And I always say to them, I feel like that's redundant. And, and to be fair, it's men, women, again, the whole gamut. It, everyone says the same thing to me. I never planned on doing this. In some cases, sure, it's like my mom and dad ran their own business and I always thought I would do it. But a lot of people come out of this exact background of, I was doing some consulting work. I was learning about all these businesses. We saw a market gap and they were like, okay, you fit the suit. So it's, it's up to you to do it. I tell you what, Michael. You know what's funny? I think why I'm saying this now is that I just spent the last two weeks, and I was at the the local university here in uh, in Zurich, and uh, there was an innovation 
unit they were teaching. And I was with all the teams that were pitching investment ideas. And of course, whenever you see investment pitches, it was the journey of, I want to be sustainable. I want to do this. So I think I'm just jaded by all the investment pitches you hear about me. I want this for me and the youth and my future and my kids and all that stuff. So I'm too much into that world sometimes where I, it, it, there's a bit of a sales pitch element when you're pitching your startup, then there's the actual reality behind it. So yeah, you're probably, you know, 100% right. So what's the soul of a startup? Now that you've, you've been a startup founder, you've been a coach, and then now you're exposed to startup, like what attracts you when someone pitches? What is it that catches your attention? One or two things. Oof. Uh, so what, what I, when I see pitches, so it, there's a difference between, I think, what I see will make a successful startup and what I see as, as a pitch that I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I see the pitches, um, it's really, and it's, again, very cliche, is what's the real problem? Yeah. And then how are you solving? And it's really as simple as that. Um, Mm. A lot of the times startups will fall over because they spend, let's say a five minute presentation. They spend four minutes talking about how great their solution is. Um, uh, Look what I've built. Look at this nice little widget. Look at this button I pushed here, which again, it's so great to see the pride of what you've built, the time and resources. But what you're really trying to do is you're trying to build a solution or a product that mm-hmm. needs to be bought, needs to be used. So why is they going to use and buy you? So that's kind of when I see the pitches, that's what I normally look at. And if I look at maybe the second version of your question of what makes them successful, mm-hmm. again, another cliche answer, but it is the passion of it all. Um, it, it really is, hey, I want to do this. I want, I'm working on weekends. I'm not, and again, I, try to teach the startups, hey, make sure you have your own personal life. Don't get burned out. I had a burnout and I can have a whole different conversation about that. And it's very, and I would never wish that upon anybody because it's a very dangerous thing and it's very unhealthy. However, when you see the passion of what they want to do, they're, that they're living it, they're breathing it. And it's, there needs to be boundaries and it's not always passion will get you along the way. Um, mm. But I always see that a lot in the, in the co-founders that are successful. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can be great at something unless you really care about it is the way I like to put it. Um, Cause you'll definitely, you'll burn out. I think more likely if you really don't care about something, but you think you can actually build something big because it's an upside down model. The passion can also be, I, I know this is going to sound corny, but I think this is a million dollar idea to make money. And I'm passionate about finding the right users. You know, it's not just, I want to change the world passion. It's really, this is a business model and this is time is right. And I'm going for it. And I, you know, want to be a capitalist and I want to keep going. And that's, mm. it's also an element of passion that we, it's okay to, to indulge in and go after. Do you think that sometimes, so my ninth grade teacher was ninth. No, sorry. My 11th grade teacher said to, said to us once in, in one of my classes, like you can't generalize from your own experience. And I think that from a pro and the reason why I'm saying this is because sometimes founders feel like they're building for themselves or the cohort cohort that they know. I think this is the flip side of diversity as well. Whereas you can build products that aren't for you or that are for you, but are for other people as well. Do you feel like that that's something that you need to imbue in people that you talk to as well? Yes. Yes. In that you are building a solution. So you're always going to have your first, first user. So we talk about the lean Kansas business model for canvas. Who's your first users, your first movers. So you're going to have a, maybe a niche or a persona of a person. Um, but as you grow and develop, those personas change. They grow. They evolve. They have to. Um, yeah. And you want to, yeah, of course, of go course. Ahead. I mean, as a society, we evolve. So having the people associated with your company at the board level 
at the junior level, at the senior level, that are also users or potential users of what you're doing to get feedback in your, you know, your, your journey is super key and super huge. And the one thing also, it's not just, hey, and it's sad, but sometimes you see it, hey, uh, we have to hire, uh, you know, a woman or we need to hire uh, a person from here or their background. And, and they do it so begrudgingly. It's like, don't do it. You're wasting your time because hiring somebody that is makes your team diverse, but and not allowing their voices to be heard and to bring their voices to the table, then it's worse. It's completely worse. You you, you create a toxic culture. You mm. create a place that no one to be. So you actually have to build a culture where everybody's voice can be heard, you know, to really develop the, your, your company. And I, I truly, truly believe that. Yeah. I mean, look, one of the biggest benefits to me for living outside of my home country for 30 years is I've realized that there is this diversity of thought as much as there is diversity of, you know, skin color, race, culture, and all this other stuff too. And if you're not open to it, you're missing massive opportunities, right? And you're right. I think about this all the time, building my own company. It's like, how do I, how do I let people know that it's okay to have a different idea that culturally inside the organization we're okay with that from the beginning, right? Because, and I've said this for a long time, I don't think diversity in all of its forms can be like bolted on later. This is why I think some big companies have a really hard time doing it because as committed as they are to it, there's this massive culture already built for better or for worse that wasn't like that. And to move that, to change that inertia is super hard, but still super worthwhile doing. Yeah. Very much so. What is it that you do in Balwas? So Balawas um, traditionally um, is an insurance. So it's been an insurance for, gosh, more than 100 years, based in, mm -hmm. you know, originally based out of Switzerland in Basel, Switzerland. Um, so it's a, it's a financial services player. There's an asset management arm, insurance operating in Germany, Luxembourg, Belgium. Um, and those, that's traditionally what we do. But a few years ago, Balawas has ambitions uh, called diversify the core business which is the core business of insurance. Mm -hmm. So they have an initiative where um, they want to start building in kind of two fields. One's the home ecosystem. So everything around the house. And then also another one is mobility, the mobility ecosystem. And when we talk about mobility, we're really talking about moving people from A to B in a safe and sustainable way. So when we're talking about movement. And Balawas thinks that they're in a really good position um, because they're not a classical... OEM or a classical um, automobile player. Mm -hmm. um, they have a lot of experience because a lot of their insurance is in the uh, car space, car insurance mm -hmm. space. So we're able to draw on a lot of knowledge, a lot of expertise. And we also notice that within the mobility space, it's moving fast, it's changing. Mm -hmm. And there's an amazing opportunity to come in there and build a mobility line of business. So what we've done over the last few years, we've invested in uh, a number of startups. Uh, we've built a few startups as well. And what we're trying to do is build a mobility ecosystem where the startups in our portfolio can work together, collaborate together, maybe build products together, um, and just really grow a brand that is Balawas Mobility. So that's what we're trying to do and trying to achieve. And we've had some amazing early early successes with some good startups. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it. It's kind of like a corporate VC Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. So it's like a corporate VC. However, we have a company builder element. 
and we're doing it strategically, but not strategically for our core business. So it becomes so it's it's something that's very different. That you know we we even tried to find models around the world that are doing what we're doing, mm-hmm. maybe even in, in different fields, but it's something different. So we've had some. So we're very entrepreneurial in our team, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've had some uh, growing pains along the way, as you can imagine. You know, mm-hmm. how do we go about doing this? How many do we build? How many do we invest in? You know, what stage? How do we get you know two startups that have their own business models that to collaborate together? Um, how do we build you know like-minded solutions that they can build and work off of? So there's a million ideas, and at the end of the day, it's really exciting, and it's a good time in this in the mobility space in Europe, especially. Do you get to lean on all the stuff that you've done in the past? Do you know what I mean? Like, I always feel like life takes a certain path and that you get to this point where all the stuff you've done before now informs this thing you're doing now. Oh, I love it. And I, and the, 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 the fun secret is I, don't, I came into this not knowing much about mobility and I'm learning a whole new field and I love it. It's so great. I get to be paid to learn about a whole new field <laughs> and it's great. It's fantastic. It's just like the, someone's like, oh, you, you know, the you know, my company, you can do higher education, you can help out. I'm like, why would I, I, I'm getting it better than any grad student, you know, getting grad student, any MBA mm-hmm. program in the middle of it. And what I'm able to do in my role is that I work a lot with the portfolio startups, helping them with my past experiences and helping them scale and grow, have funding rounds. So I'm able to give back, but also I feel like I'm learning more than, than I'm actually doing work. And it's, I'm, I'm the luckiest person in the world, actually. <laughs> So it's really great. I love it. And Renu knows why I'm laughing and smiling and practically dancing on the other end of the phone. But I'll tell you that later. Uh, I like the tease. I like the tease, by the way. I'll tell you that later. We'll tell you that make later. Me what is, more because, I mean, I've been going through this with her for like the last day. She's like, oh, I'm doing this thing and that thing. I'm like, you're going to get paid to learn. Are you kidding me? There's no better thing in the whole world about something you know a little bit about, but not a lot about. Like... Again, think about what I do every day. This is my third recording today. And all I do is get to talk to people that know stuff that I don't know anything about. And I'm curious about what it is. And I just get to ask them. And then I get to build a whole business around me asking guys like you that have done things that I couldn't even imagine doing. And then I just add it to my toolkit. Do you know what I mean? Every single day. It's the coolest thing in the world, no? Yeah, we can keep learning. And I think all entrepreneurs need to know that. They always are keep learning. Always find, put yourself in an environment where you can always keep learning. And it's it's so rewarding. And then the more you keep learning, the more doors open, the more opportunities in a personal life and the business life. It's, it's great. Yeah. But also you said you knew nothing about mobility when you started this and not that you're a guy who's lacking confidence, but like the next time somebody asks you to do something where you know nothing about it, you'll be like, sure, I can do rocket science. That's, I mean, sure. Who couldn't do it? <laughs> but you'll just figure it out along the way, right? Because that's yeah. the skill. It's one of the skills you're learning now. Not that you haven't learned that before, but you, you talked about this at the beginning. Having the ability to learn, but also having the skill diversity is something that people don't talk about a lot either, but that's also super important too, yeah? Yeah, I've taken it for granted. Let's put it that way. You you take it for granted. You know, it's it's that typical cliche saying, hey, if if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I'll tell you what, I don't think I've been the smartest person in the room in, gosh, <laughs> since maybe kindergarten. I'll be this way. I've never been in the wrong room. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> if you know what that means. Yeah. Exactly. I've, always, I've always been in the right room. Exactly. <laughs> and anything else uh, you? No. Okay, I'm gonna no, end. it's been really good. I'm going to end. I really want to thank you, James Sanders from the Balloas Mobility Team. That was awesome. 
Thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate appreciate everything that you guys are doing for the community. So keep up the great work. 